It's been a challenging week, my friends. 24 years ago this month, I received a phone call inviting me to join the team at the Peachtree Road United Methodist Church. I had been living in Pennsylvania, working on a PhD in organizational behavior at that time. The caller was the Reverend Dr. Don Harp. He'd become a trusted mentor and friend over these past few years. I learned so much from him, and he was so proud that I was back preaching in a local church. For my first few months here, he would write to encourage me every week after he watched our worship services online. He'd offered to give me his gray preaching robe, but because of COVID, we never got together. Don died this past Tuesday and he will be sorely missed by so many of us. I would never be the pastor and leader I am today without his guidance and example. If you have someone like that in your life, please don't wait to thank them. Call them this afternoon, check in with them. They may be having a challenging week themselves and they need to hear from you. For we seldom know what is going on below the surface in other people's lives. The disciples in our text for today were having a challenging week themselves. They had followed Jesus' instructions. They'd made their way back north to where it all began, to the Galilee. Seven of the disciples were gathered there by the Sea of Galilee, standing there in the beauty of God's creation. When all of a sudden, Peter declares, I am going fishing. Now, I have to believe that for Peter, this is a return to something familiar, something he was good at, a return to normal. Do you yearn for that? Do you yearn for that as if there could ever be normal again after what they'd all been through? In times of stress and struggle, I personally just want to do something familiar, something I can count on, something I'm good at or something that doesn't take too much brain power. Peter says, I'm going fishing, for he knows how to fish. And then the rest of the disciples decide to join him. They go out fishing, but that night their nets come up empty. They don't catch a thing. That night they caught nothing, the scripture tells us. And so we join the disciples after the futility of a frustrating night of failed fishing facing their empty nets, facing their emptiness. And in this time of scarcity, Jesus shows up in John, the 21st chapter, beginning in the fourth verse. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 
153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is a good news according to the gospel of John. Thanks be to God. This is my kind of Jesus, a Jesus who shows up at the beach. He shows up after the resurrection and better than any fishing radar, he tells his disciples just where the fish are. Cast your nets on the right side of the boat. For you see, the truth is this. Jesus can see below the surface of things even when we can't. Jesus can see below the surface even when we can't. Don't you wish you could see below the surface of things? When I look at a situation, I often cannot see all that is going on. There's usually more there than meets the eye. I can see just the tip of the iceberg. I don't know the whole story. But we tend to jump in and jump to conclusions and fill in the gaps for ourselves when we don't know all that is going on below the surface. For there is more going on beneath the surface than we can see. After the miraculous catch, the disciple whom Jesus loved says to the disciple who denied Jesus, it is the Lord. Then Peter puts on his clothes before jumping into the sea. It's such a strange move, isn't it? First of all, fishing naked might have been dangerous. Secondly, Peter thinks he needs to cover up so that Jesus can't really see all of him. We do that sometimes, don't we? Hiding behind extra layers, hoping no one will see us in our full vulnerability so that no one can see beneath the surface of the layers that we have donned. Yet Jesus sees below the surface, and I think that's a good thing. Even when Jesus looks below the surface to see our pain. Several months ago, some of you may remember, I had a treatment on my face. I looked awful for a few weeks. I'm sure I got an amen on that. I had noticed one rough patch on my face that would not go away. So I went to the dermatologist. Well, really, I zoomed with a dermatologist. The great physician sees below the surface we present. Sometimes it is a rough patch that makes us take notice. That rough patch that makes us look for the healing that we need. I had no idea what was going on below the surface. I could not see all the damage that had been done over the years, but but it was there. And that treatment revealed the damage that had been hidden below the surface. I needed to have it revealed so that it could be treated. I needed to have the damage revealed so that it could be removed. I needed to have it revealed so that my health could be restored. You have to wonder what was going on beneath the surface for the disciples that morning. They had seen betrayal. They had participated in denial. They had fled the city of Jerusalem scared 
And here they are at the sea. They had seen scarcity, an empty net, and an emptiness. Then Jesus shows up and tells them to fish on the other side of the boat because Jesus sees things below the surface that we don't see. Jesus knew that there was an abundance there even when we see scarcity and they haul in their nets with 153 large fish, so many fish that they're not sure their nets will hold it because Jesus sees below the surface of things. Because he sees below the surface of things, he can provide abundance even when we can't see it. We are scared there isn't enough at times. We're scared there won't be enough. And that is how the disciple whom Jesus loved knew that it was the Lord. It was the abundance. Al Pacino, who turns 81 today, once said as Michael Corleone, it's easy to fool the eye, but hard to fool the heart. The disciple whom Jesus loved experienced the abundance that Jesus offered time and time again. And he knew in his heart that it was the Lord. Jesus had showed himself countless times in the past by sharing abundance from the very beginning, turning water into wine at his first miracle. There was abundance. Feeding the 5,000 with some bread and some fish, abundance. And with so much food that there were leftovers, abundance. We look on the surface and we worry about scarcity. But Jesus looks below the surface and sees more there than we can imagine. Then with nets overflowing with fish, Jesus invites them to come and have breakfast. Jesus offers them abundance. This is so my kind of Jesus, a Jesus who shows up with a meal. He's prepared barbecue fish and bread for them. Like Winnie the Pooh always said, it's more fun to talk with someone who doesn't use long, difficult words, but rather short, easy ones like, what about lunch? Or Jesus saying, what about breakfast? The risen Christ shows up in meals. We saw that last week in the walk to Emmaus as he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Perhaps that is why so many of us measure and remember our lives in specific meals that we have enjoyed with others. Last week, Elizabeth and I took a few days to go down to New Orleans to celebrate her father's birthday. It rained almost the whole time we were there. So I decided to go on a series of indoor adventures to find the best barbecue shrimp in New Orleans. Now, New Orleans barbecue shrimp is not the same as barbecued shrimp. New Orleans barbecue shrimp are shrimp usually with the head still on, swimming in a pool of butter and Worcestershire and pepper, traditionally served with a loaf of French bread to soak up all the buttery goodness. Can I get an amen? We started at the home of the original barbecue shrimp, Pascal Manali's, but they were just okay. The freshly shucked oysters were far better. Then we tried takeout barbecue shrimp at Deanie's Seafood, a local joint. They were a bit better, but still not the best. Yet the fried artichokes there are worth the trip. Then we decided that we were running out of meals, so we found barbecue shrimp on the breakfast menu at a place called Willa Jean's. They pour the barbecue shrimp over burrata and toast. Now we're getting somewhere. 
I next ordered them at the court of two sisters and those left a lot to be desired. I was counting on the old college inn because they have the best ones that I've ever tasted. But they were closed on Sunday and Monday and I had to drive back here on Monday. And yet, my most memorable meal in New Orleans was missing the barbecue shrimp. Jennifer Bowden, our former youth pastor here at Dunwoody and I, were supposed to have lunch my first day there. She now serves in New Orleans as a Navy and Coast Guard chaplain. She called to say she could not meet me for lunch because a lift boat had capsized off of Port Fourchon. It was during an unexpected storm and there were few survivors. It had been a challenging week there in South Louisiana. As part of the Coast Guard team, Jennifer was called in to help comfort the families while they awaited news as they searched below the surface for survivors. She was also there to help break the bad news to some of the families that they had lost someone they loved. When she got back to New Orleans, she called and I added another meal to my adventure. During our meal, she told me her story, how Dunwoody United Methodist Church had loved her, had formed her spiritually, had developed her as a leader and encouraged her to serve far beyond these walls. With that strong foundation undergirding her, she walked into a room where the families were waiting for news. They were seeking answers no one could give them. She listened as they shared their hopes and fears. Their family members had just gone out to do their jobs a regular day when a surprise storm arose and their lives were shifted on a dime. Every time someone new would walk into that room who might have information, the anger in the waiting families erupted. It would bubble over and they demanded to know, they demanded to know what had happened to their loved ones and in their grief and uncertainty, they were bordering on violence. Then the admiral suggested that they needed to pray and the people said, we don't need prayers, we need answers. You could feel the tension in the room as they were filled with angry voices and questions. But then the admiral looked at Jennifer and said, Chaplain, will you pray for us? Chaplain, will you pray for us? And when Jennifer said, let us pray, that turbulent room fell silent. And into the silence, Jennifer asked the families, to speak the names of their loved ones, to speak the names of those who they were worried about into that room. I invite you to do that now. Speak the names. Speak the names of those who you might be worried about into the room this day, leaning on the one who can see below the surface to bring both healing and abundance in the midst of our pain and scarcity. Say their names, say their names. And as those families said the names, a sense of peace and calm settled upon that room for Jesus can see below the surface even when we can't. As she prayed for those families, the ministry of Dunwoody United Methodist was there in the room. Your ministry extends far beyond these walls. And as she shared her story, it became the best meal that I'd had all weekend. 
like a wonderful breakfast with Jesus as Jesus showed up in our meal together. Jesus showed up with a meal for his beleaguered disciples. I wish we were in a time when our meal providing ministry was able to live out their calling. For the past 23 years here, faithful members of our church have shown up at a time of need. They have shown up with meals when a family has had a difficult time or when a new life is welcomed into the family or when there was some other need for that family. As I talked with Paul and Judy Bertrand this week, who have worked with this ministry for many years, they said it was a gift to them to be able to cook a meal and to go see someone in their time of need. It connected them to people they would have never known otherwise. And they got a glimpse of what was going on below the surface in that family. And they were able to offer the peace of Christ through a simple meal. Jesus shows up and provides a meal when his disciples are still processing their grief. And Peter is still processing his denial of Jesus by that infamous charcoal fire. Anthrikia in Greek, anthracite is how we know it, charcoal. The word appears twice here in the 21st chapter and back in chapter 18 where Peter stands by a charcoal fire warming himself while he doesn't stand by Jesus. But isn't that just like Jesus? A charcoal fire that was the place of Peter's denial now becomes a place of Peter's redemption and sending forth. Jesus redeems Peter over barbecued shrimp. I mean, barbecue fish and bread. Jesus sees below the surface into Peter's pain and into his shame. Jesus says to Peter, the last time you were at a charcoal fire, remember, you denied me three times. Peter, I thought I taught you to look below the surface because on the surface it may have looked like death, but below the surface it looked like a seed, a seed of new life. Did you think there was not enough love to go around? Did you think that forgiveness would be limited? Don't you know that I come to you with abundance, that you might have life and have it abundantly? That is the good news here in the Gospel of John, abundant life. So when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus offers Peter a threefold redemption there in the face of Peter's threefold guilt and in response to his threefold denial. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? In Greek, do you agape me? Do you love me with the selfless, sacrificial love of God? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know I phileo you. You know I love you like a brother. So Jesus accepts Peter even when he can't quite get to agape yet. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Feed the littlest among us, the next generation. Take them to breakfast like some of our youth leaders would do every week for a small group that they led. Feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you love me with the selfless, sacrificial love of God? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I phileo you. You know I love you like a brother. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. Care for those who've been entrusted to you, even the ones older than the lambs. And now the third time, Jesus meets Peter just where he is, saying, Peter, do you love me? Do you phileo me? Do you love me like a brother? Even when we can't get to agape yet, 
Jesus meets us where we are. And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I phileo you. You know that I love you like a brother. And for a third time, Jesus says, feed my sheep, but feed them not out of your own scarcity, but feed them out of my abundance. Offer them breakfast with me, for we know our shepherd will supply their need. The beauty of all this is that Peter gets to agape eventually. He gets to the place where he's able to live out of abundance, fishing for people with a self-giving sacrificial love. Back in 1978, at Hubert Humphrey's funeral, there was one person that most folks thought should not attend. It was the disgraced Richard Nixon. Nixon had come back to DC for the first time for that funeral. Dignities had come, dignitaries had come in from all over the world, all over the country for that event. And when Nixon walked in, he was made to feel decidedly unwelcome. People turned their eyes away and conversations ran dry around him. Then another man entered the room and as he moved to his seat, he noticed Nixon standing all alone. He immediately changed course and walked over to Nixon. He held out his hand and smiling genuinely and broadly, he embraced Nixon and said, welcome home, Mr. President, welcome home. That man just happened to be the president at the time, Georgia's own Jimmy Carter. You can imagine him doing that, can't you? Newsweek wrote, if there was a turning point in Nixon's long ordeal in the wilderness, it was that moment and that gesture of love and compassion. There after breakfast, Jesus welcomed Peter back home. Welcome home, Peter. Welcome home. And then he sent him out to feed and to tend the lambs and the sheep of the world. A friend of mine, Wes Allen, tells the story of a woman who wanted to help out at the local soup kitchen on Easter Sunday. She was there to help provide a really special meal. Instead of the usual soup and sandwiches, she pushed the volunteers to pull out all the stops. We need baked ham, mashed potatoes, fresh green beans, an unforgettable meal, yeast rolls and, and chocolate cake. When the day was over and 5,000 people had been fed and there were 12 refrigerators full of leftovers, this woman looked at one of the other volunteers and said, can you believe that so many people donated so much food and so many people got to eat on this Easter Sunday? I feel a little bit better about the world and about myself right now. I think I'll be riding high on this moment for a long time. Another woman, a longtime volunteer, merely smiled and replied, we'll see you at the same time next week. We do this every week. We do this every week. When we look at people and situations, we might not know what is going on beneath the surface, but I'm thankful that Jesus can see below the surface of our lives. So when you see empty nets or emptiness around you, make the call that you need to make. Do it today. Take a meal where there is a need. You've seen it. And offer grace even when you don't know the whole story. And God will provide the abundance that is waiting below the surface to fill your nets. Amen.